1.3 left. Nets down two. Johnson gets a shot off. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex, here with my brother from another. C. Grant. Yes, sir. And we bring to you Views from the Clutch. Um, what are we on? Episode 18. 18. 18. Look at us. We about to be legal. Word. We about Say to be it. legal. Exactly. As, as always, big time thank you to everyone showing us love, especially on the Facebook page. All the likes are being noticed. All the comments are being appreciated. As always, if you have anything that you'd like to contribute as far as feedback, recommendations, topics to discuss, anything along those lines, even if you just want to tell us we suck, and you know, it's okay. You can go ahead and troll us on our social media pages. You can find us on um, viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com if you would like to write a lengthy diatribe explaining how you think your views are better than ours. It's all good. We welcome all feedback. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and kick off episode 18. Um, see, Grant, I'm gonna need you to run point. I don't have my um, shortcut sheet on me. So, what's the first topic on the agenda tonight? Uh, we're gonna talk about your um, your former Lakers. Your former Lakers. We talk. Oh, let's talk about let's talk about the Team USA winning um, the other night, the other day against China. They won by like fifty. Japan. It, oh, my bad. Japan. My bad. No bad. Japan. Five. Uh, what was it, 53 points or something like that? Yeah, uh, got pretty ugly. And, yeah. And, um, but this sets up actually for Saturday's matchup against uh, the Greek Freak yeah, versus Greece, which would be uh, a game where Jason Tatum is not going to play because by him twisting his ankle, they wanted him to sit out uh, two games at least. Before they even uh, evaluate him. Exactly. So um, that should be a good matchup. I mean, it's going to be Team USA playing a uh, MVP, which I don't think Team USA has ever done that in in international play. This is the first time in in like FIBA, whatever you want to call it, international pool play history that the United States basketball national team is facing a NBA league MVP who is also not one of their own, a countryman. So this exactly. is a unique, random, fun fact matchup that, you know, these things only come along once in a lifetime. But the way the NBA is trending, this may be the start of a new wave. I mean, you got guys like Joel Embiid, who I would consider to be on the MVP pipeline and so on and so forth. But let's go ahead and visit uh, Greek Freak. Greek Freak in his last game versus Brazil got held to something like 13 points. Mm-hmm. Fouled, fouled out. out. Yep. And the coach of the Brazilian team talked wild smack about the fact that Giannis, as an almost seven foot man, got held in check by a 38 year old Brazilian who was six foot four. So that was some that was some extra spice that, you know, you don't really see that on the international stage. But I think that type of spicy talk makes makes everything just a little bit more interesting. So it is Mm -hmm. it is funny to see because the concept you have with a guy like Giannis is, all right, well, we see what he does in Milwaukee. Why don't we just replicate it here with, with our national team? So, you know, exactly. yep. let Giannis do his thing, surround him with guys that can shoot the open three or, you know, create looks that or, – or feed off of not having the ball. And mm-hmm. it didn't work. 
And that yep. just goes to show how unique what they're doing in Milwaukee with, with Coach Budenholzer's staff and the assembly of players that they have that, you know, what looks good somewhere else is not going to always work in every format and setting. And the international stage seems to be the place where everybody is getting their game plan or their prime weakness exposed. And I think Giannis and Greece were the latest to see that. It, I'm curious to see if the U.S. deploys the same type of tactics with Giannis, you know? Just try to mm-hmm. clog everything up, make it all nice and mucky. Because I don't think this game has consequence. This is like uh is this like their I thought this was like the second round. It's the finals. second round, but in the second round you still afforded a loss. Your knockout game doesn't come until after you've actually experienced the loss. So you could win all your second round games and not be subject to elimination. Or you could win the first, lose the second, and then I think that third game or whatever the case may be, could get you knocked out. So Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they have to lose two games in the second round to, to formally be knocked out, I believe. But, yeah, um, I think that dunk fest that the United States put on versus Japan, it, it, it kind of, like, was a smokescreen for what's really going on with that Japanese basketball team. They were out there, meaning that their fans, their crowd, they were 100% out there, and they were enjoying what the U.S. was doing. But they were also enjoying what two players from their national team who are going to be in the NBA next year are doing. Um, they got a guy, uh, I don't want to mangle his name too bad, but it's like something like Rita Unitabi or something like that. And he plays, I believe, for the Grizzlies or something like that. And then they got Rui Hachimura, who was a first-round draft pick. Yeah. And Rui's been actually doing well in international play, like averaging something like 20-some-odd a game and mm-hmm. Unitabi kid. They both can play. Now, obviously, Japan doesn't have enough supplementary scoring to really be a true international threat. It's a testament to their progress that they have players who are, you know, if not first or second generation national, you know, like citizens, they definitely descend from that country and, and they're repping the flag and they're actually really good at the sport. So... You know, kudos to Japan for developing their international game because there was a time when the NBA was vested heavily in Japan and then the movement kind of just switched to China when there was kind of like a brief or, you know, a drop in how much support Japan was showing NBA players and stuff because we used to have games over there in the preseason and all that, but then everything just kind of moved to China with the with the Chinese expansion. So it's good to see that the remnants of the Dream Team continue to reap benefits years and years down the line. But... um. I don't think the U.S. should have a big problem with Giannis, considering that the U.S. team does have a player who's used to playing with and against him and Brooke Lopez. So they should be able to put together a game plan that allows them to get that win and hopefully hold the fort down until Tatum returns. In addition to Tatum being down, you also have Marcus Smart, who's experiencing an issue, and and he's not eligible to play the next game either, I believe. Mm -hmm. His hip or something like that. yeah, some type of weird, the weird little uh, injury. He tweaks something. I think uh, the USA USA has got to come and execute. I mean, the biggest thing is, you, yes, you are playing against Giannis, um, and uh, his team is going to feed off of what he does as well. But the, if you know, if you can hold him down, you said you got to make sure the others don't step up and, and shine as well. You don't want him disrupting the flow of the game so much that. You know, he's having a bunch of assists or like the hockey assists where it's one more extra pass and hitting guys with open shots and giving those guys confidence. I mean, I think USA 
has to work on destroying confidence early. I mean, I seem I feel like sometimes when they play, they allow some of these teams to stay within the, within the arm's reach or take a lead on them. Where these guys' confidence go through the roof, and, and you know, when you get a player that's playing with confidence, it's very hard, you know, to keep the guy from stepping down and cooling off. Yeah, it's very um, hard, especially in international play where you've got those type of environments, that type of crowd, and the adrenaline pumping in the building is, is, is I agree with you, it's very difficult to reverse course and all of a sudden hope that you're going to be able to settle somebody down who's got, like, you know, he's got his whole country behind him, for lack of a better way of putting it. That's literally what it probably feels like to these guys. Of like, course. You know, like, I, I, I stand here with 10 million Greeks. You know, like uh-huh. you know, like three hundred or something. So, yeah, it's definitely imperative, like you said, that that the United States take the game seriously, put their you know collective foot on the throat of their their competition, because, like you said, if they don't, they could be prone to a long, painful game where they they don't wind up coming out on top. Exactly. Or I'll making it tougher than it needs to be. I mean, the reality is the USA, like I said, these teams are too close. It's obviously, this last game against uh, Japan was not close at all. But obviously, we all know Japan's not a formidable opponent. So we have to look at it into when they start playing the tougher teams, you got to get you got to get some confidence. You got to get some rhythm. You got to get the strategy down packed. Because when you play those veteran savvy, good countries, they're already going to be ready. They already have the camaraderie. They already have the chemistry because they've all been playing together longer. And when you got these other um, players from these other countries that are pretty good themselves, and then you add in chemistry, that's going to beat the U.S. You know, or make it very difficult for the U.S. It's going to expose them, and that's the last thing. Like I said, if the USA gets out to a good start, keep the foot on the neck, then we got not, no problems. I mean, I, every every team USA team in the past has done it. The ones that have been effective is we get jump out, you know, take their heart early. When I take their heart early, take the crowd out the game early, it makes things it makes the night easier. But when you keep those type of teams and you get that that crowd going. Some guys, some guys from the USA, shots don't fall because now the pressure's on. Now the, now the hecklers get a little louder, get a little more confident, and you don't need that. So, um, like I said, good luck to Team USA in the morning. Like I said, it's, it's another 8.30 a.m. Eastern time start. Uh, by the time this podcast is released, the game will already be played. But this is just um, – we're talking about it prior to. So that's yeah. one thing to keep people in the loop as well. Uh, the next – I mean, you had anything else you want to touch up on that one before um, we move on, or just briefly? I mean, honestly, I think this whole tournament is like a war of attrition for the United States basketball program as a whole. I think that a lot of lessons can be learned from the approach that we took, as far as the the players that got sent out there, um, the approach that we accepted from the players that we allowed to not show up or be a part of the team. I think that we have to get back to that level of either you're in or you're out or we're going to consistently have these types of problems. I mean, the reality is, is that the average basketball fans know that if you feel the best 12 players that are 
United States citizens, we're not really likely close to losing. But when we go out there and bring these teams out and then give them the same expectation as a proverbial dream team, this is what we wind up having to deal with, 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 with these situations where, you know, maybe we can win, maybe we can't. And not to say that we're taking it for granted, but I do kind of feel like the opportunity is somewhat being taken for granted by the players who just opted out and no real reason to do it other than the excuse of, oh, I just want to get ready for the season. So I'm hoping that whatever the end result of this competition is, that it puts some focus back on the guys who maybe chose not to come just because they didn't want to deal with whatever to be there, you know? Like, yeah, I think I think I mean it sounds better you playing at the Olympics than at the Fever, you know. So I think the that's World why Cup. I get that the World Cup. Too. So I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, as a kid, you grew up watching the Olympics. I didn't really grow up watching the World Cup. I didn't pay attention to it as much as I would have done with the Olympics. So that that that's another thing too, because I mean we don't really nobody talks about Dream Team too. You know no. what I mean? They, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I'm also one of those people who, uh, as a basketball lover, like international basketball was definitely something that I watched because, you know, I have kind of like an international heritage. So I always cheer for Team USA in whatever venue or competition there was. I'm a kid who grew up with not that much cable. So those games were always coming on TBS, TNT. So it was almost like in between wrestling, whoop, here comes the U.S. national team, and they're playing this thing, and it's that, that, and that. And it would be um, the Pan Am games and things like that. I watched all those growing up. So I can't name all the rosters, but I definitely remember seeing so many different iterations of Team USA. And like you said, the teams that always had the best possible roster always wound up being the Olympics. So it goes along with what you're saying. I mean, the world championship team usually was pretty close to what you would have on the Olympic roster. I think this world championship team is the farthest as far as talent level since we started sending over NBA players from mm. our best possible roster. And I just hope that whatever the outcome from this is, that guys realize, hey, I could I could have chipped in. I could have been a part of this. And But I like the roster that we have. There's certain players that obviously, you know, they don't really favor me or impress me as being, I don't want to say worthy, but I do believe that there are slots where we could have had better players and it probably would have made, like you said, the game easier. But, you know, I'm, I'm good enough moving on. So what we got next on the docket? Uh, we were talking about, I don't know if you, you were able to hear about Lonzo Ball being oh, yeah. on, on the Josh Hart. Josh Hart is uh, actually, they were teammates with the Lakers and now they're going to be teammates with the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. He, hosts a, he hosts a podcast and he had Lonzo on the other day. And Lonzo kind of was bringing light to just the L.A. life, his career, his family, big ball of brand. But what he brought out was, which the, the, the kind of controversy comes out, is he was saying, and also what most people didn't know is, he was saying that he was changing those big ball of brand shoes, those uh, triple Bs, uh, every quarter because they were popping or they weren't ready for sh- they basically weren't ready for an NBA game. So he his um his manager would have a, a bunch of shoes in the book bag. So every quarter he kept switching them out because they were just having holes in. So he was also saying that anybody that ever has those game the game worn ones, if they take a good look, they'll realize that those are busted up. And that's he said what helped get him 
Because during summer league, that summer league was so packed and so so many people there, and the energy was so crazy because obviously his father, uh, Lavar, did a, a phenomenal marketing job to get his son in the position where he's at. And like I said, the fact that he was uh, doing something that was never heard of or seen before where they were creating their own shoe company. And then the fact that Lonzo was being recruited by these other shoe companies, uh, what Lonzo did was kind of what everybody thought at the time was so dope and so creative was the fact that he kept saying, well, you're big brawler brand. You can wear whatever you want. You're not just locked into us. So mind you, he Lonzo was telling Josh Hart that they were getting other companies to overnight the different shoes if he didn't already have the shoe they overnight the shoes so he could play in them so that's why if you saw him one game in the Kobe's or another game in some Adidas or another game in some Under Armour shoes it was literally because they were like hey these big baller brands aren't holding up not only are they holding up how can we get the buzz or people that still talk about us. So that's why he kept changing the shoes after every game. So people were trying to, they didn't know what was going on, but in his defense, he was, he kind of kept everything on under hush until now. And I, I wonder if that's because of, um, you know, the kind of like the fallout with the, with the dad's uh, friend, that kind of like the business manager that was um, taking all the money for Lonzo. But then um, also one thing about that, before you know, I get you to transition in. Was he was saying that that he covered the tattoo of the the uh, big baller brand because the NBA was going to find him ten thousand dollars a game because the NBA doesn't want uh, you to market other companies that aren't partners that aren't partners. So yeah, this happened with J.R. Smith with the um the, su- the, the, the supreme the leg tattoo. sleeve with the supreme tattoo. So. Yeah, yeah, and Kelly Kelly Oubre that had the sleeve. That was at one point, but it had an NBA. It, I thought it, I thought Supreme had a deal with NBA, but I guess not. Um, but it was with the Supreme, the Supreme arm sleeve. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so that's a hefty fine, ten grand. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay, you know, two hundred dollars for a tattoo to cover it, or whatever the price is a tattoo he paid for. That's a lot cheaper than paying Man, ten grand. Lonzo Ball ain't paying for no tattoos, bro. I'm saying, you no, know, either way, I mean, yeah. regardless, you know. That's yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do the proactive thing and preemptively avoid getting your pockets tapped. I agree with that. Um, before I go into my segue, I just have a question. Um, C. Grant, you ever get into it with your pops? Yeah, I'm talking about grown level, like after the age of 21. You ever ever have like a really intense? Nah. All right. Lonzo is due for that. He's due for that, and I, I feel like everything that he's doing. He's been trying to like precipitously avoid that eventual confrontation where he has to literally tell his pops to fall back. We've been kind of seeing it, you know, the way LeVar has been been worried about LaMelo, you know, and the way that he kind of glazed over the situation when when Lonzo realized that his pockets was getting hurt by the, the guy, the mutual family friend who was, mm. you know, kind of fleecing them and had intentions of rerouting their money to Ethiopia or something crazy like that, that he was up to, but they were able to catch wind of it, stop him before too much money got lost. And, you know, he went his own way and separated from the big ball of brand. Yeah. You had to get the tattoo to cover up the BBB, 
but you also have kind of severed your business affiliation with the BBB. So there really was no reason for you to have it. So it sounds good that you were going to get fined and that was a good motivation to go, go get it done. But I'm not going to allow you to mask the fact that you're trying to step into your own light. You're slowly becoming your own man. Mm-hmm. And a big mm-hmm. part of you becoming your own man is doing things that, as you see fit. Now, you also didn't mention the fact that he came out with a rap song speaking to how the Lakers are going to regret trading him. Yeah. Uh, Lonzo yeah, I mean, the single. Yeah, uh, yeah I did, I'm not going to yeah, lie. Lonzo I, dropped I, the I, single. Didn't, I, didn't, I didn't check for it. My bad. Yeah, yeah I checked the audio. I, I listened to it. Listen, Alonzo, you know, he could rap. He could carry a beat. I mean, I'm not going to go out and cop his music. But, you know, I definitely support a lot of these um, ballers, basketball players that do dabble into music. I think Dame Lillard is kind of like at the forefront. He had yeah, a back and yeah. forth with Marvin Bagley last year that was actually pretty entertaining. Marvin, Marvin Bagley actually does get a little bit busy on the mic. So their little exchange was kind of dope, you know, but Dame kind of did it from that. You know, like I'm sitting on top of a boulder and here you are, come, come catch this pebble rolling downhill that's going to turn to an avalanche on you. So he was kind of able to, to brush Bagley off. But anyway, that segue back to, to Alonzo Ball. His kicks exploding, not surprised. No, of course. Not surprised. When you're dealing with any type of product and his first iteration, considering my actual, what I do for a living and how we roll out products and how we often have to fall on our face, numerous times before we can actually stand up and the product stands the test of time. That's not a surprise. The big surprise is that he was the test case. You get what yeah. I'm saying? No, Usually absolutely. when you roll out a product, you know, you give it to like 30, 40 street ballers and you let them go take it into some of the worst possible environments, like playing on blacktop mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, playing in indoor gyms, just playing in an environment where that wear and tear is going to be accelerated. Absolutely. You know, you, when, you, when you try to road test a product, at the highest level of basketball available at the current moment, which is NBA Summer League. Yeah, I, I'm, listen, I'm surprised something didn't happen while he was on the court that wound up going viral. Mm. The fact that he was able to keep this this far shrouded, I give Lonzo Ball a lot of credit for that because th- that's definitely a love for your father, a love for trying to protect the image. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who be like, man, look at this, man, look at this sneaker. Are you serious? Oh, da, da, da. You know, he could have made a big scene and made himself out to be a victim, but he owned it. And yeah. he came up with a contingency plan. And that just goes to show that, like, you know, that mentality that he had that got him drafted number two, it also manifests itself in, in, in ways that go beyond the court. You know, he does have some leadership to him. And I do want to see him blossom. So I'm glad that, well, you know. Well- I was going to say, I, I think, I feel a little different, right? Uh, I think his father helped him get drafted number two. I think his dad did a phenomenal marketing job of getting people to really notice his son because the reality was coming out of college, nobody projected him to be a top three pick. Everybody thought he was going to be in the lottery, but nobody thought he was going to be top three. When dad got on TV and started talking about how he could beat Michael Jordan. His son is the best point guard in the league, and he's going to the Lakers. And the fact that he was speaking it into existence and it happened, I think dad did a phenomenal job. Because if you talk to Alonzo, Alonzo don't say much. So he's not really – people looking at like, what's so, what's so cool about the wiry kid that can drill for UCLA? But with dad talking his talk and getting people to pay attention to his son, because if you think about it, the game's – weren't that really that packed in the beginning of the year. They weren't talking about UCLA 
until dad got on TV and then his son started playing and people started sh- looking at his son like, okay, well, dad talking that talk, but his son looked like he backing it up. But now that the spotlight's on him, he was shining under that light that his father helped him out with. I think what he probably should have done um, with the whole big baller brand, the fallout, I think it was him voicing certain things you don't have to tell people because if, I don't know what his dynamic is with his father right now, but if his name is still attached to that big baller brand, if they ever try to re-release, if that's something that they plan on doing, you don't want to tarnish a company that you probably had some financial gain from that was, you know, you were going to be. So I think you don't really want to throw dad under the bus too much because really, I ain't going to lie, my pops ain't never championed me like the way Lonzo's pops championed him. I don't, think, I don't think there's many kids on the planet exactly. who have so, had their parents champion them at the level that, um, that, that, LeVar did. that LeVar did. And you know what? To backtrack, I do give you a lot of credit for that point of view that you're bringing to the table because it is, it is in its essence fundamentally accurate. Lonzo Ball probably doesn't go top three in the draft without that push from Pops. Yet, Lonzo also had another revelation that we failed to mention that I'm going to bring to the table. Lonzo said that his workout for the Lakers was probably the worst workout he ever had in his life. Yeah. And the fact that that was his only workout. Because I don't think he said he went to, he, he didn't work out anybody else. Yeah, he didn't. That's what he I'm didn't. saying. So... I mean, he secured his spot. But I mean, I have, I have the 2017 draft and we got, we got a, you know, a few more minutes that we could explore. There are quite a few people you could say deservedly might, should have been the number two pick, like Jason Tatum, who went third. Derek De'Aaron Fox, who went fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, Laurie, because you know he's a big-time favorite of mine. He went seventh. And then yeah. beyond that, there's not really many other people that you could say, you know, I would take them over Lonzo Ball based on what Lonzo is right now. Yeah, That's but- just how flaccid that draft is. I mean, you got Josh Hart, who was drafted at the bottom of that first round. And you got mm-hmm. Kyle Kuzma, who was also drafted at the bottom of that first round. Yeah, you got Donovan Mitchell, who went 13th. And you got Donovan um, Mitchell. Okay, so Donovan Mitchell is is either one of the one, two, or three picks. Because you got Jason Tatum, who should be one, two, or three. Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell, who you could argue should be one, two, or three. And then, you know, that third spot goes to De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it, but that's the thing, too, with with players and the fact that teams have certain needs and wants and the yeah. fact that he didn't want to work out for anybody else and he didn't do that good at his workout. that could For have the easily... team that drafted him. Exactly. So that could have been a deterrence. Um, yeah, so let I... me not go out and shot myself because, for one, the team that is looking at me and is showing me favoritism, even though I had a shitty workout, they're drafting number two. If I go work out for other teams, I'm working out for teams that are drafting below them. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that leverage all played out. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like a Murphy's Law, you know, what can happen, will happen situation is kind of like the way I see how it played out for Alonzo Ball and his whole draft situation. So, yeah, I mean, there are, like I said, there are other players that were in that draft who I think are scheduled to or may wind up contributing at, at a more intense level. You know, you got um, mm-hmm. Harry Giles, who's coming into his own as a Sacramento King. But when he got drafted, he was basically playing on one leg coming out of Duke. 
You know, Luke Kennard, Kennard was in that draft, and you know, we all know how he's getting heavy minutes in Detroit. How, we don't know, but he, he gets minutes. You know, Malik Monk, who may eventually come out of the shell that he was in when Michael Jordan slapped him in the back of his head for doing, I forgot what the bonehead play he did that Michael Jordan wound up slapping him in the back of the head for, but he did something really silly. I'm going to have to find that and then follow up on another podcast to mm-hmm. go into I, I know I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember 100%. Uh, what it was, so yeah, it was like one of those like he Dude. grabbed the ball. There was still like seven seconds left in the game, and he threw it out. There. I don't know. He did something. Yeah, one of those, did, like something like some some evil way. Yeah, um, he had a real departure from from keep your head in the game. It was like, and, and let's not forget, you know, your boys drafted the, the, the cleaner eighth that year. So, <laughs> like you uh-huh. said, teams draft, and sometimes logic is not always in 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 the underlying interest of what they're doing. It, it, there usually seems to be other motivations or reasonings for why guys are getting picked ahead of other guys. Because it's always funny to hear the draft experts over the course of the draft say, hey, best player available, and then you see some other guy go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you and- know what it was? He, uh, Malik Monk, Jeremy Lamb hit a big shot. Malik Monk runs onto the court and gets a technical foul before because the fact that there was um, there was still time on the clock. Yeah, he celebrated a game that wasn't officially over yet exactly. by coming onto the court, which we all know if a player leaves the bench and comes onto the court, then it's actually supposed to be an automatic ejection. But because it wasn't a fight, fight. Yeah, I guess you get wasn't a fight. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, but that whole Lonzo ball thing. That's how, that's how I felt about that. I mean, like I said, I wish I wish Lonzo and the best to his ability because, like I said, hopefully um, he things will work out for him in uh, in New Orleans. Like I said, as for the rap career right now, establish yourself as a player, get yourself healthy. I mean, like I said, don't take shots, too many shots at the Lakers until you really show people that you could be an all-star. I mean, maybe you'll have a career like D'Angelo Russell was once he left the Lakers, his, his, his uh, playing, everything went through the roof. So then that's when you can kind of talk trash. But until you actually establish yourself as the Pelicans, I mean, you take a shot to the Lakers. Ah, I mean, that's emotional. But um, to transition to his teammates, it seems like we're doing a lot of – a lot of these podcasts are Lakers-themed, man. It's amazing how we're talking about your team a lot, man. I'm starting to wonder. Okay, team, well, I mean, we're going to go – Team going to be gonna reckless. We're going to go 30 for 30. Your team's trying to be reckless in the, in the news, man. They're trying to, trying to dominate the summer with these this, this ratchetness, man. Um, the other thing within the same podcast, his uh teammate Josh Hart had a um, they in the same throughout the podcast. I listened to the podcast throughout the whole podcast. You could hear her underlining like they were taking shots at the Lakers. Um, they were kind of like just kind of upset about the whole situation. I mean, guys were upset about being traded. I mean, the fact that you they were they were on the trading block the entire season with Anthony Davis. Um, and the fact that they actually get traded was something that they were a little upset about. Uh, I'm going to Josh Hart's comments because he made comments uh, about being traded. He basically said, I played my bleep off for the purple and gold, played hurt, and never had an excuse. As a player, you just want the courtesy of getting a phone call um, saying I got traded because the thing about it is he found out on Twitter that he got traded. So... What we're what we're talking about is, you know, in in hindsight, do do uh, NBA 
front offices hold players accountable for professionalism or how can they hold players accountable? How can they um, really hold players accountable for professionalism when their business practices involve zero courtesy? Uh, the fact that, you know, this is not the first player and he won't be the last player that finds out on Twitter or finds out from somebody else. I mean, Lonzo said the same thing. Nobody mm-hmm. called him and they they basically found out in the news that they were getting traded. And it's kind of like, and that was also a big, a big, big um, thing that was being reported on by uh, Ramona Shelbourne during last year, in the middle of that season, when right after Anthony Davis made his trade demand, the Lakers locker room became, you know, like a cell phone hub. Everybody was always checking social media just to see if their name was going to be the one that got flipped so that Anthony Davis could be there. And that was a big part of how their locker room fractured or what the case may be so we are in a different era of how news travels but i still believe in the common courtesy of if a player has an agent or a player has a direct player representative who fills their calls or whatever like give them an opportunity to at least fail their client before you announce a trade or you allow a trade information to be announced and i think that that courtesy is going out the window i mean when you and i were growing up we found out that way like we found out a trade happened and there was a press conference so that means that all the steps had already been taken. Everybody, all the parties had been involved, and we were watching guys holding up new jerseys and taking photos. Now it's, you know, a guy is getting off of a plane, supposed to be playing a game tonight versus another team, and he's getting sat because he just got traded. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or a guy's on the way to the visitor's locker room only to find out he got traded to the home team. Yeah, yeah, and that, that definitely has happened. I think uh, the biggest thing with this is, you know, back when we were growing up, social media wasn't as dominant as now and the 24-hour news cycle wasn't mm-hmm. nowhere where it is now. And the fact that everybody's trying to be first. And a lot of times these these reporters have relationships with these teams. So they'll they'll go ahead and do it. Plus I think it's it's kind of it goes to what a lot of people do is um, you know, when you break up with somebody, sometimes you don't have there are people that don't have that confidence to say, look, I'm breaking up. This ain't working. You know, we need to go in different directions and have a conversation. Because yeah, they, but no team, no team is afforded that type of behavior. But I, I think when I'm not surprised, trust me, I don't, I don't like it that they do what they do. Um, and I think that's why a lot of players feel like, yo, I'm going to take matters in my own hand. I'm going to do what LeBron does. Cause you don't hear about LeBron being traded. LeBron trades people. He don't get traded. Mm-hmm. So, and I think a lot of people don't want it because who? Because the reality is, like if you're if you become more of a vet and you got a family and you get traded in the middle of the season, I mean how, that changes your whole family dynamic. Plus, sometimes you don't even have the opportunity to go if you're living say for instance, if you're in L.A. right and you live in L.A. and you just get traded to Philly, but you're on you're on the road and you're at a game in Chicago, and they will hey you know today's Saturday. You know what? Tomorrow is a, they they play and they want you there. You like yo? I don't even have time to go back and get some of my clothes. You know now mm-hmm. I gotta now I gotta pay for somebody to hopefully ship me some clothes, or I gotta run to the whatever stores open if they got anything my size, and, and try to buy some stuff. You know and, and and figure it out that way. Or I gotta and then you might have family coming to the game the next day, but now you got traded. Now you ruin everybody's plans and situations. So, like I said, it, it's got to be tough on a player because... Or, 
or even worse, a player is playing for what they believe is their hometown team. Yeah. And their hometown team trades them. Yeah. And their kids, their whole family situation is all rooted in that love of the fact that not only am I playing the sport that I grew up playing and I love, but I'm also playing it in the hometown city that I grew up in or always wanted to play in. And now I'm being rejected, for lack of a better way to put it, by that entire city. That's what a play. That's what it feels like to a player. Uh-huh. It doesn't feel like they got traded just by the management of the Los Angeles Lakers. No, I got traded by the city of Los Angeles. Yeah, and you know, and, and good. And, and I feel like that's definitely something that creates that animosity and the energy that these that these players have when they when they come out and they go on these. I don't want to call them a tirade, but when they go ahead and decide to pillow talk and explain exactly what took place or the emotions and energy that they felt about that whole prospect of being traded. You know, like there is a, a WTF factor to the whole situation. So I definitely understand where Josh Hart is coming from because Josh Hart was one of my favorite Laker players, rookie, whatever. It didn't matter what his stature in the league was, the way he came out. And like he said, gave his all on the floor at all times, especially considering where he came from at Villanova, like Josh Hart, actually deserves a lot more props. He's a national champion. And the way that the NBA treats NCAA champions when they get to the league, it don't count for nothing. No, it's, just a, no, it's totally different. It's, you won at that level. Now try to win at the, the greatest level, the highest level. Right, but there's no, there's no, um, there's no uh, credentials afforded you like you know, like mm-hmm. what is it that what is it that um Gio? Oh, we're looking for veteran players, people who know how to play impression moments. This, that, and the third. My dude, he just played in a knockout tournament for two weeks. Yeah, we and advanced, and not just that. Where see the thing? This is this is in my opinion where the issue happens, right? If Josh Hart was a freshman and led his team to a national championship, he's top five, right? But yeah. The fact that he's an upperclassman. A lot of times these, these scouts and these NBA teams feel like when you get to a certain age, they don't see potential anymore. They see that potential has an ex- expiration date. So they're oh, looking you can't at get you. any better. You yeah. reached your ceiling. So even though yeah. you're a winner in college, you look at it like, well, maybe you weren't really that good your first couple of years. And now as a senior or a junior, we say, well, wait a minute. We don't know if this guy can go top five because – his, where's his game? It hasn't. Ex, it can't expand. It can't do this. And mind you, the dude's only 22 years old. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yes, he can get a lot better. But the NBA is on this. No, we want him as young as we can. I mean, they almost want him out the womb. You know, it's like because when Cass is 18, they get him so much value than the upper class. And my thing is, you the 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 guy has dealt with the press and the media a lot longer. The guy has won, so he knows how to win. He's, he's understood. He understands being under the microscope. Yeah, and he's been trained. He's been under the tutelage of some of these coaches that the NBA kind of works with. So it's kind of like, how are you giving these players that are upperclassmen a bad rep, or you're not wanting to draft them that high? Whereas you got guys that have 18 as freshmen that come out. You say, oh, he's got all this potential. Oh, he's going to be great. This, that, and third. And, and these guys don't pan out. And it's funny because 20 years ago, proven commodity got you drafted. Yeah, absolutely. Proven commodity got you drafted. I mean, Larry Bird went and put it out there, and he wound up getting where he got. So on and so forth. Patrick Ewing, Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, Mm 
Like legends of the game. Yeah, they t- gave Tim Duncan. They gave Tim. These guys. Tim Duncan was a four-year player. Mm-hmm. David Robinson played four years and then committed himself to what? Well, well, he was going for like another two to fulfill his Navy commitment. Yeah. Before he ever stepped foot in the San Antonio Spurs locker room to actually be able to play. And now here we are, like you said, we, we, the, the NBA has become a league of potential. And we wind up pulling these kids into the sport based off of the fact that, you know, he's got a 6'9 wingspan, he's only six foot four, and he can jump 45 inches in the air. We'll figure out whether or not if he could dribble, handle the media, or speak coherent English later. Let's draft him. No, of course. I think that, that's going to be something. That, I think we need to do a uh, – we could do a podcast separate on that. You know, the, oh, yeah. We'll definitely, we'll definitely do a, a podcast on – not to say we'll, – we'll call it the pros and cons of drafting early versus drafting late. Exactly, and, and and we'll we'll call it that. Obviously, we have a season preview to attend to, so of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody who's out there, get, get ready, get ready. Um, and we've already decided our format. Have we agreed upon that, Chris? We're gonna go from worst record in the league to the two favorite teams to compete for the championship, or or did you want to do it literally worst record in the league to the best record in the league last year? Uh, we could one of the two. I mean. The worst record in the league is the Knicks. Do we want to kick it off the summer with the Knicks? Nah, I can't disrespect you like that. That's what I I'm saying. So, like so, yeah, I think we have to alter it a little bit, but not by much. I mean, it's going to be – either way, it's still going to be a much – every podcast and every episode, even if it's not your team that the, the, that our listeners are going to be listening to uh, or hearing about, it's going to be – we're going to put a spin and a twist on them to make you want to tune in and be like, hey, that's not my team, but what they were saying – I need to. I need to hear. Or, or, definitely. So definitely, I believe. I believe that our season preview, team by team, each episode, whether or not you favor that team, care about that team, or you hate that team, one of those four reasons is going to be a reason for you to click and listen because you're going to get some information that's going to give you probably some insight towards how you view your own team. Because you can learn a lot more about what is wrong with your team by hearing about what's right with another team. Mm-hmm. So. You know, even if it's the, you know, I may, I know you probably done heard, you know, 75,000 predictions on the Pelicans, but definitely check for hours. I know you may not be too enticed, too enticed to hear about what's going to happen with the Suns, but definitely check for hours because we, we're going to put in that effort to make sure that you get an educational, nutritional, entertaining serving of, of a season preview for each team that we bring to the table. But um, on that note, what, what's next on our agenda, brother? What do we have? Uh, actually, actually, let me double check. That might have been it. Uh, wait a minute. Yeah, we just yeah. That was basically, that was kind of it. The Team USA situation. Oh, we were going to talk briefly about the uh, people being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, correct. That correct. we definitely have to take this time out to to commend and salute. Um, do you have a list? I'm familiar yeah. with a few of the guys. Yeah, yeah. So I got I'm going to go I over. The, I got the list right here. Uh, Bill Fitch. Al Adels is one of them. Bill Fitch, the um, former coach. Yep. I think he's passed away, though. Bill Fitch is mm, I thought he's still, still alive? alive. I don't know. I thought he was still alive. But let me, let me, let me look this up real quick because I, I, I definitely don't want to uh, hate on yeah, Bill bring- Fitch because I remember him being a coach when I was a little kid. I, he's 87. Okay. He's 87. He's still alive, though. He was, um... Well, first and foremost, congratulations to Bill Fitch for entry into the 
National Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, he was an NBA. Is it called the National Basketball Hall of Fame? Or it's just the, the it's just the Basketball Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, it's the, the Basketball, Basketball Hall of Fame. He was a, he was a um, NBA champion as a coach with the Celtics actually 1981. He, yeah. he was coach of the year in '76 and 1980. Um, he was one of the considered one of the top ten coaches in NBA history. He had a um, I was trying to find out what his win loss record was just to kind of just show you. Uh, his win actually he won, he won over nine hundred games, uh, nine hundred and forty something games. Um, so he was he last he last coached the Clippers in nineteen ninety seven nineteen ninety eight. Didn't um, he once coach coach the Kings? Did was he once a coach of the Kings? Uh, Is that on his resume? Uh, no, he was he started in Cleveland from nineteen seventy all the way to nineteen seventy nine. Then he became a Celtics coach from seventy nine to eighty three, and he mm-hmm. won the, he won a championship in nineteen eighty from nineteen eighty nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty one. Then he got replaced by Casey Jones, yeah, which and, I remember. Then after after Boston, he went to Houston. Um, That's where I remember him. He went to Houston. Coach. He actually lost in nineteen eighty five in the finals. Right, he coached that Ralph Sampson team. Yeah. Um, then he went to the New Jersey Nets. That's where I remember him. Uh, from 1990 yep. to 92. He coached Kenny and Anderson, I think, right? Yeah, I think so, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the year. And yeah, then, he had the Kenny Anderson, Petrovich, uh, Derek yeah. Coleman team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he definitely was the coach of that team. Um, and his, he finished his last four years with the Clippers, which was from 94 to 98. Um, and obviously, you know, at that point, the Clippers weren't what they are today. What's uh, that, Ron? What is that, Mark Jackson, Ron Harper years we're talking right there? 97, 98. I think that was the year Lamar Odom, right? Or was that before? Yeah, he might have been coaching that team with all the young pups. Because remember, they had they had uh, Darius. They had uh, Q. Quick. Yep. They had Livingston. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Livingston didn't last very long because of his knee injury. But um, they had they had quite a young collection of talent at one time. Yeah. Uh, you well, know. actually, no, no, no. That, he's um, – Lamar Odom's not there yet. Um, it's actually I'm sure I look at, I'm looking at that. They had Lamont Murray. They had Poole Richardson. They had yeah, Rodney Rogers. They had your your man Charles Smith. <laughs> Why? How is that my man? That's the guy who eventually ended uh, the Knicks opportunities. Yo, that's oh man, that yo. Wait till we get to yo. Wait till we get to that, big old man. So yeah, yeah, uh, Derek yeah. Derek Martin. Um, so wow, point guard. So it's like old wow, school that Clipper team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric Pukowski. Yeah, Keith Pukowski. Pukowski. Keith Cross. Uh, yeah. I mean, he has some. some That's post Mark Jackson. No Ron Harper. So that means Ron Harper's on the Bulls by that time. Maurice Taylor. Maurice Taylor, former Michigan player, Big yeah. Ten player of the year. Mm-hmm. Got himself drafted. You know, uh, that was back when if you were the conference player of the year. See, I think that's the paradigm that, that, that they're dealing with. Oh, see, but you have guys who were all conference in college, and they come to the NBA, and they can't exert any type of dominance. No. You know? That, but, the, but the team, the team in 19, what, what year is this? I'm about, to, I'm about to show you another team. From ninety six to ninety seven, Bill Fish is still a coach, right? Mm-hmm. His team was Brett Barry, Terry DeHair, who we seen numerous times back in college. Seton Hall. Seton Hall. But remember he used to work out at at the school. Oh yeah, he used to work at school, yeah. Um Kevin Duckworth. 
Um, Derek Martin again. Kevin Duckworth. Yeah, Bo Outlaw. I have to tell you a funny story about him, but um, that's, that's for another time. <laughs> Uh, let me see who else. Malik Sealy, God bless the dead. God bless the dead. Um, who else? Yeah. So it was like that was kind of only the noticeable notables. Like I said, so who? So Derek Martin was the starting point guard. Now, mind you, I'm not just him, him and because he went to UCLA. Yeah, or him, him, or Paul Richardson. Paul Richardson wasn't Paul Richardson more like a two guard. What? He was. They were about the same size, same height. Yeah, but, Derek Martin definitely was the PG though. Cause mm-hmm. I, when I remember him on the floor, he was the the the, the playmaker, general, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, man, shout out to Bill Fitch. So who else was on there? You got Al Adels. Uh yeah, I got uh Bobby Jones, who was used to play Philadelphia in '76, was one of the greatest defenders during the back in the day. Um, he won a championship with Dr. J, Moses Malone. That, uh, what, that 83 team? Yeah, 83 team. Um, Sidney Moncrief, who was... Yeah, um, one of the best perimeter defenders ever. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, he... A lot of those guys who played for that Milwaukee Bucks team, they had some animals on defense. Yo, did so. they ever. Yep. There's uh, another guy who played for Milwaukee. I forgot. And I know he was a teammate of... Uh, I, I, you're talking about um, Alvin, Alvin Robinson. Yeah. Oh my God. Don't dribble around him. Yeah, that was crazy. He was out there. He was out there taking people's jerseys off, like... Yo. Give me that. Cookies, Yo, and, all of that. And ready to fight you in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. So, yeah, then um, then Jack Sigma, um, who was an NBA champion, seven-time All-Star, defensive. Was he known for getting dunked on by Yo. somebody? Yo, he got – I remember him as a kid getting dunked on. I think my Dominique was dunking on him a lot. Jordan dunked on him a lot. I mean – he was just he used to catch helmets sometimes just being an innocent bystander like what is he, <laughs> he would box somebody out and the next thing you know Jordan or Nick boom boom he looking at his the dude like yo you set me up man so yeah he was um you know you said he was he was a good player um Paul Westfall the coach he used to coach at Phoenix um I, I oh took, our girl yeah our, Paul Westfall our, our home girl Teresa Weatherspoon. Um, an elite WNBA player, point guard, used to play for the New York Liberty. Um, and... Shout out to Paul Westfall, though, because he's the guy who let Danny Ainge get murked by a towel. <laughs> okay. Um... You don't remember when Robert Horry, mm. when he was playing for Phoenix, threw a towel? Oh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yes, 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 yes. And Westfall was the coach. Because oh, Westfall... Because Westfall was the coach who actually brought the Suns with Charles Barkley to the finals to yep. get fed to the Jordan Bulls. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that was the era when Phoenix had the bang at home court. Like, they, they home games used to rock. Ding, dong, ding, dong. Yeah, I remember KJ, uh-huh. Danny Ange, Robert Horry. Dan like Marley. Dan Marley. Like Richard had... Dumas. Yep. Yeah, they, Dumas, was... they had a unit. Yeah, oh, I don't and, think they had any bigs though. Nah, I wasn't like Antoine uh, Card, one of their bigs or something. I think like, like Mark West or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then Vladi, Vladi Divac was the was the um kind of the most notable person that we probably will cons- like remember. Most relevant. We'll yeah, call yeah. him most relevant. Vladi Divac, current GM of the Sacramento Kings, originally drafted by um the Lakers. He, got, not, yeah, he was drafted by the Lakers. The Lakers drafted him. He played a few years for the Lakers. Actually went to the finals and served up a, a finals championship to Michael Jordan and the Bulls. He mm-hmm. was part of that team that helped spark the Bulls' first three-peat. 
Um, he played with the Lakers up until a young Kobe Bean Bryant became available in the 96 draft and was flipped to Charlotte. Yep. Charlotte had no idea who they were drafting at the time because the Lakers would not tell anybody. And at the same time that they weren't telling anybody that they were going to draft Kobe, they were summarily using Kobe and his agent to dissuade other teams who would have drafted Kobe from drafting him. Then they draft him number 10, trade him for draft him number 13, trade him to the Lakers. And Vladi Divac, you have become one of the greatest Lakers of all time just by being a sacrifice for us getting Kobe. You go on to play for the Charlotte Hornets. You have some non-remarkable years. Somehow Charlotte leads to you going to Sacramento where you wind up being cannon fodder for the Lakers again. Yo, so, come on. Vladi was good on the, on the um, Sacramento Kings. He was, he was very good. He was part of those Sacramento King teams that were always consistently battling on Lakers in yeah, conference was, finals. He, or, I mean, he made an all-star team. I mean, you know. So. Listen, I'm not taking anything. Listen, first and foremost, Vladi Divac was one of the first international centers to validate that big men from overseas can come here and play. Yep. If Vladi Divac doesn't come and put that work in, Nobody reaches back for Arvidas Sabonis. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Because yeah. remember, Arvidas Sabonis, by the time he got to the United States, he, was he didn't even have older. legs. Yeah, he was already He didn't older. have legs. Yeah, he no. was all groundbound. I mean, mm-hmm. he still had he still had game because he gave Shaq problems yeah. in Portland. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, But, I mean, there was a time when people spoke of Arvidas Sabonis, and they were saying, like, oh, he ran like a gazelle. He jumped like a deer. And, you know, yeah. he lost all that. And then he of winds course. up coming coming to the United States. So, no, nah, I'm not taking anything away from how good of a player Vladi Divac was. And there's some actually legendary things. Like, like Vladi Divac was one of those people who, like, cardio and all that other stuff, like, he wasn't with none of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely Like, was. it is, like, there are stories being told of him, like, sitting in between practices smoking cigarettes. Like, Vladi <laughs> Divac was, <laughs> he was an original Croatian, or, and I don't want to disrespect that country because I know that they had like a Croatian Serbian split, but he was one of those Eastern European centers, like old school. So uh-huh. I definitely respect, I definitely respect him as a player. I don't know like what the plan out is going to be with him as a GM, like that. That's well, I still mean, up in the air. He's, he's, I mean, like I said, they drafted De'Aaron Fox, they traded for Buddy Heal. Um, they also drafted Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley. They got. The, they also um, drafted Harry Giles. Harry Giles. But what's what's the name? Bajan Bogdanovich. They didn't uh, get him in the draft. I forgot how they got him. It I was some. I thought they, they got may him have got him in the draft. They may have got him in the draft. Oh, okay. So I'm not going to take Bogdanovich and make them out to be bad for getting him because he's a great. I think he's going to be a good player. He's going to be. He's going to have a long career. Um, but they also drafted Josh Jackson from North Carolina. Yeah, but they drafted him late, though. Yeah. Right? He was a first-round pick. Oh, he was a first-round pick? I, th- I thought mm-hmm. he was a late first-round pick. Late um, first-round, regardless, I'm pretty sure we could find six to eight players that the Kings could have used instead of him. They oh, also no, drafted course. Harry Giles late. So, I mean, again, the jury is still out on their front office maneuvers because now they have to build around the talent that they've, they've accumulated. Because you've got all, you've got three or four positions locked in. Harrison mm-hmm. Barnes is locked in long term. Yeah, Marvin Bagley's not going anywhere. He's on a rookie deal, and you're probably going to start him at the five. And if you don't start him at the five, then you're going to try Harry Giles out there. Yeah, you've got De'Aaron Fox. You've got Buddy Hield at the two. Mm-hmm. So they've got a core. So now it's it's a matter of can they develop and build around them well enough that 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 team can actually compete. Yeah, I mean, well, you think about it. They were, I mean, they kind of. Fell down the stretch a little, but they were competing for. They that. were in the hunt for the eighth spot. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, 
I got to give him credit on that. And, yeah, but um, the eighth spot is different this year. No, it's going to be listen. The NBA season is going to be tremendous. But like, I think, I think the De'Aaron Fox is going to take a leap. I think he's going to take a leap. I actually, I, I think, I think Buddy Hill is going to be very good this year. I think he's going to be twenty plus points, more like twenty two to twenty three a game. Man, I really feel like oh. Save that for the Kings preview. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. decimate that. Okay, we'll you, see. Say that again. <laughs> Did you just say that Buddy Heald is gonna be giving us twenty plus points a game? He gave he he, he averaged what twenty one last year. He averaged twenty point seven last year. So what's twenty one or twenty two a game is now far fetched. I'm not taking nothing away from Buddy Hill because Buddy Hill led the NCAA in scoring. Yeah. I just don't imagine him scoring that much and them winning corresponding. Well, I mean, like I said, he, hey, hey, that's a little. All right, we'll talk about we'll talk about more. But I think that's my listen. You already know that's my sleeper team right there. So the um, Kings are your sleeper team. They want to be my like. Well, if okay. they play, if they played in the East, yeah, they'll be in the playoffs. But they play in the West. If so they played in the East, they'd be the number three seed. Yeah, exactly. So I was saying, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, we'll go over that. We'll definitely go over that in the next few um, episodes. We'll definitely get that going. Is there um, anybody else in the uh, Hall of Fame that got inducted that we should be I throwing a tribute think, to? Wait, hold on. I oh, want to say before before we deal with anybody else who may have we may have forgotten. Let's talk about who has not been elected and is worthy. Mm, that's and, a lot of people, but go ahead. But we're gonna deal with you know a prime candidate, Mr. Chris Webber. Yeah, that was crazy. It's kind of egregious that that Mr. Weber is not in the Basketball Hall of Fame, considering the career he had, not only as a pro, but also as a college and high school player, which is part of the credentials that they seem to be loading up on when they elect to have some of these guys into the Hall of Fame. Because it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, not the NBA Hall of Fame. Right. So So the Basketball Hall of Fame, I think you should account for, there shouldn't be this many Mr. Basketballs who made it to the league and played on multiple All-Star teams that are not in the Hall of Fame. They didn't, they didn't have a hiccup with Tracy McGrady. No, of course. He, he skipped, he skipped college. You know, um, ball came through. I got a call. No, it's all, it's all good. Uh, Um, I was trying to see who else, was there anybody else that we might have missed? Uh, Oh, was it? This is uh, the last guy. I think was Chuck Cooper. I think he was the first. Was he the first African first African American to play yeah. in the NBA? Yeah. So he was so the here first we are. one. So, so here ahead. we are. A black guy who's only available pitches in black and white. It's 2019. Everything's digital. Everything's fast speed. And now we're now we're getting him into the Hall of Fame. Come on, guys. Y'all got to do better. Y'all got to do better. Whoever's on this board of people that are voting people in. So between that, between Chris Webber not being in, and now they're just now getting the first African-American ever playing the NBA into the Hall of Fame. Like some of these elections and selections, it almost feels like that's a cosmetic thing. But you know uh, what? Kudos to them for at least catching that oversight and handling it. I hope that we don't have to deal with another year of Webber not being a Hall of Famer. Yeah. That's you know, crazy, because you know T Mac got in with no with no hesitation. I mean Ray Allen's in already, and he ain't even got his five years yet. And I'm not saying that to be literal. I'm just saying like we know that the moment Ray Allen's up for election, he's going in. And I think 
a guy like Chris Webber's on that caliber. Maybe he doesn't have the championship pedigree as far as winning championships, but again, the Hall of Fame pedigree is not about who won championships. So I really don't see what the holdup could be. Are you going to hold it against him because he has some issues with, with his college career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to me, I that's think, corny. I think, yeah, I think I think so, but unfortunately, I think a lot of these people are still holding that against him. Um, because I mean, it was him. Ben Wallace, maybe, you know, because Ben Wallace was up for it, and so was so was uh, C. Webb, uh, and uh, next year is going to be crazy because I think that's the year where a lot of plays that we know, like um, I think Garnett, Garnett, Duncan, uh, they'll probably do something special for Kobe, so they probably rush him up, maybe Chauncey Billups. Well, what is it? Um, the The requirement is five years of retirement, right? That's what I thought. I thought it was five years of retirement. Um, or no, it says players who are eligible for the Hall of Fame after they have fully retired from play for at least three years. Okay. And Kobe walked out on, what, 2016? 2016, yep. Same yeah, thing. So, so they'll probably do something special for him, Duncan, and Garnett. Those got to be the shoe ones because they all retired in 2016. Yeah, and if you don't, if you don't let Chris Webber join that class, I mean, Chris Webber played against all of those guys and and had numbers. Yeah, no, no, he did, he did on he did. each of them. Like he used to give Duncan work. He mm-hmm. definitely gave Garnett work. He gave Kobe nightmares. So, well, yeah, I mean, like I said I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Webber getting in. So you'll never hear me knock him on that because like I said the Fat Five thank God they came around because the basketball show is so longer man Ooh, yeah man playing in boxes still you know what I'm saying like but now these teams are trying to go back to doing that no I'm good I'm good but I know do you see how yeah, shorts I, have gradually shrank like LeBron yeah. really was annoying me last year yeah because it, it was like come on dude like I don't <laughs> I don't want to walk around with no yeah come on man. like how you gonna have how you gonna have compression shorts longer than your, than your actual basketball outfit shorts. And that's what LeBron was running around on. Yeah, because that's what I don't get. The cats that wear the compression pants, the knee braces, all of that, but then they got the tiny shorts. You're like, yo, dogs, what you doing? But yeah. Yeah, that is what it is. I mean, like I said. To each his own fashion always goes in cycles, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not I'm not for that cycle, so I'll be holding on to yeah. my, my uh, baggier shorts, my Michigan yeah. Fab Five shorts. Yeah, I still got my classic um, Jumpman Cincinnati shorts. There you go. Can't yeah, go wrong with that. But on that note, we're going to wrap up episode 18 of Views from the Clutch. We hope that you all enjoyed the show. As always, we welcome feedback. You can hit us on any of the platforms where our podcast is available that allows you to leave a voice note. We'll be happy to play it back, check to see what you have to say. And if the topic is something that we could bring to the show, we definitely will. In addition to that, you can always send us an email at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can visit our Facebook page, which is also Views from the Clutch as well. You can leave comments. You can leave feedback on any of the episodes. They're all listed on there. We would definitely love to hear you guys' feedback on what you are hearing and witnessing and what we may not be noticing or what we should be paying more attention to. We are open ears and we're open arms when it comes to this community. And again, 
We've had a few setbacks, but we are looking to continue to expand and upgrade. So you guys' ideas on how we could bring more to the table to give you guys more of what you're looking for, we welcome that. And on that note, three, two, one. Peace. Mm.